Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music, hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. Today's guest is singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and composer Phineas. Like, learning a song is such a master class, because you're learning, like, six different things accidentally in trying to play a song. And I still feel that way to be true, like, I'm trying to learn how to be good at the drums now. The amount of stuff you can learn in playing along to something always was super exciting to me. I first heard about Phineas through my daughter, who, when she was about um, 12 years old, discovered through her nanny on SoundCloud, Billie Eilish. And shortly after that, I was recording in a studio in Highland Park, and I was in a recording, and, and the engineer was telling me, yeah, there was this kid in here. He was recording these songs, you know, they're pretty good songs, but he was kind of like, he wasn't really happy with them. And one day he said, you know, I was, I was working on my song at home. My little sister started singing along and it was really fucking amazing. So I'm bringing my little sister in to record. And, you know, his little sister was Billie Eilish and they went on to affect popular culture um, and have a major impact in a profound way. And it's pretty awesome. He achieved a lot of success working with his sister. And Phineas then emerged as a singer and a songwriter himself with his 2019 debut, Blood Harmony. It was an EP. And in 2021, he put out a full-length album, Optimist. He's produced and co-written with Justin Bieber, Halsey, Demi Lovato, Kid Cudi, Tovlo, Selena Gomez, and a zillion other people of various degrees of, of repute. And, um, you know, he's a composer. He's writing scores for TV and film. I first met the dude when I took my 12-year-old daughter and a gaggle of five, you know, preteens uh, freaking the fuck out to go see Billie Eilish and um, met him there. And he was, you know, so generous of spirit. In my conversation with Phineas, we talked about falling in love with music, hearing his dad's mixtapes in the back of the parents' minivan, how he first thought of music as a potential career after seeing Green Day and thinking that, you know, that was something that he might be able to do himself as a job. As a teenager, he was incredibly serious and very ambitious. And um, just talk about how he got together with his sister and how they planted that seed and, and started growing the way that they grew and, um, you know, their connection, which is a beautiful thing. And uh, really inspiring, you know. I, I feel like the guy has a deep love and sincere enthusiasm for what he does, and it's refreshing to feel that. And I'm excited to have the guy on the show. So here we go, Phineas. Hi, Phineas. Hi, Fleet. Thank you very much for coming. Honor, man. Thanks for letting me do it in person. I feel like, I think when we originally talked about this, there was a sort of a Zoom, you know, we could do it on Zoom. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do it in person. It's so much more fun. It's the best way. So this podcast specifically is about music education. Right. And 
So I'm curious with you, the first time I saw you play, um, you opened up for your sister. Mm-hmm. And I was really struck. I was like, wow, this is a guy who's studying the craft of songwriting, who is, you know, really appreciating rhythm and harmony and melody and structure and all of these beautiful things that make me happy. Wow. And um, I, you know, I told you, I saw you and I so told nice you, of you. And it was really beautiful. But so I guess I, my first question to you is like, what's the very first thing that made you want to play music? Great question. Um, yeah, you were so kind to us. Your daughter was so cool. It was so cool to meet you both oh, at that thanks. show. So Thank you. Just wanted to say that. Um, I mean, my, my, I have a very sort of vivid, concrete first memory of wanting to be a musician as opposed to sort of falling in love with music, which happened years prior as a mm. little kid. But wanting to be a musician, I remember going to see Green Day when I was 11 mm. and being like, that is, that is a cool job. Yeah. Like, I would like to have that job. And I think, you know, maybe my loftiest dream was to be in a huge rock band playing an arena. But I think on a more basic level, I just thought playing music and not having to do something else for money seemed awesome. Yeah. I was like, that would be really cool. So, yeah, when I was 11 and I saw them on tour, that was like, I opened up, they played the forum. Yeah. Eye opening. That's so cool. But was there any time before that, like, where you just appreciated music? Like, oh, yeah. Or like, what was the first thing that you heard that you were just like, wow, this makes me feel yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were, we were a sort of a, we grew up in LA. Um, I actually know several kids that, that went to Silver Lake Conservatory when, when we were all the yeah. sort of the median age, Yeah. Um, which was really cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, some of my earliest memories, LA is a driving city. So it was all being in the backseat of my parents' Toyota Sienna and yeah. listening to playlists my dad had burned off LimeWire. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of Beatles, um, and then sort of random things, you know, I remember creep really early on and Mm -hmm. my dad, uh, one of his strong suits and shortcomings is that he, he's, uh, not maybe as aware of lyrics the first time he loves like the vibe of a song. I'm saying. And so there was a lot of profanity at a really young age just because he hadn't really clocked it. And then my my mom would be (laughs) driving around and I'd be like, play that mixtape my dad made. Yeah. And she'd put it on and she'd be like, this is (laughs) deeply profane. You know, you're like six and you don't really even know. Yeah. But I'm grateful for that. And I want to do the same thing when I have kids. Just be like, yeah, because they don't care. They don't care. You know? Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel like. If art is good, mm-hmm. it's coming from a loving, soulful yeah. place, and yes. it's okay. And I, yes, and none of the none of the profanity was derogatory. It was, you know what I mean. It wasn't putting anyone down. It was sort of, yeah. you know, the the way that the, the the word "fuck" is used in "creep" or something. It's just emphasis. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I remember "creep." I remember uh, that song "Kiss Me" by Sixpence None the Richer. I remember getting really into Let Go, the Avril Lavigne album, or mm. right when it came out. As a kid, it's so funny. You're like six years old and you're listening to Complicated by Avril Lavigne and like looking yeah. out the tiny, <laughs> the tiny backseat window and yeah. thinking about how hard your life is. Yeah, yeah. And in my case, as a six year old, it was not hard, but yeah. I was like, it's just, you know, feeling so many emotions right now. Yeah. But yeah, deeply, deeply connected to, to music. And, and I read your book, which I loved and I recommend it to everybody. But you talked about, in your book, feeling a sense of uneasiness your whole life. And I, I, it was like a thing that I'd never put, 
I'd never had anyone put it like that. And I was like, that's the thing that I've felt my whole life. Mm. And I think music has always been a sort of a, like a coping mechanism for that, of feeling very uneasy for some reason, sometimes diagnosable, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. And I remember always feeling like music was a thing I could like focus on to Mm. kind of shake that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's the best for that. But when you, so to get back into the car and your dad's playlist in the profanity, did it because there's something about music that it gives you calm yes but there's also like an excitement oh yeah like with profanity even though you might not have clocked it mm-hmm. you knew there's something going on here yes. that you're going into a zone that you're not oh, supposed yeah. to be yes and it's good yeah and there's a kind of a sense of and the other thing the other vivid memory i have and i think i was like eight or nine was getting my first mp3 player which was like some screenless little device with two buttons yeah and i remember like that was my first relationship with music that i was sort of purposefully not sharing with my parents it was Mm. like a a type of music that i felt this independence about Mm -hmm. everything that my dad was playing in the car was even if it was exciting or scary or whatever there's this sense of like i'm listening to this with my parents like i have that kind of comfort of like an adult figure that we have trust in each other and I remember listening to like an All American Rejects album mm. as like an eight year old. They had yeah. a song called Dirty Little Secret. And I yeah. remember having an awareness of like, I don't know, but maybe I'm not supposed to listen to this. You know yeah. what I mean? Like maybe there's a context that my parents would be like, I don't, you know, maybe yeah, you're too young. For, yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Even like listening to like a great Britney Spears record or something as a right. little kid, there's yeah. a sexuality to it that was so exciting. Totally. And so I remember kind of, that was like my first relationship with like kind of hoarding mm-hmm. music to myself. And maybe it's like when you're little or many times in your life, there's so few things that you can control. Yes. And all of a sudden you're in charge of this. Yeah. It's yeah, your yeah, yeah. private world. Yes. And it's giving you your feelings that you own. Like yes. it's, a real, it's empowerment. Well, I feel it's also like you, when I think of you as a producer and a songwriter and, and a performer, you, you come up in a much different time with, than me where you can be really autonomous about it. Like you sit there in your bedroom with your computer and your instruments and do it all. Yeah. You know, whereas like when I grew up, it was like, it probably could have done that if you had an eight track and learned to play all the instruments and stuff. But the odds of having all that together were highly unlikely. Like you never never heard of, you know what I mean? I didn't even, it was, I wasn't until my 30 when I got a Fostex four track (laughs) cassette. It was the first time I went, oh, I can multi-track. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, um, so... I sorry, I kind of jumped ahead, but no, I couldn't help think it because w- about being autonomous. It mm-hmm. gives so much more autonomy. It's in that really way. true. And to be fair, I didn't, you know, even though it was available to me to some degree, I still sort of my scope of understanding of production and recording was so limited. And especially like from the time I was 11 and seeing Green Day live, I sort of thought that a band was like all there was in music. Mm. I didn't even maybe understand that, like what a producer was, what a. Mm you know, singer, songwriter. I just was sort of like bands are, are mm. the only, <laughs> Right. Okay. I was like, that's, that's it. Yeah. And so it was all through high school. It was, you know, finding friends that maybe played an instrument a little and kind mm. of yeah. begging them to <laughs> play, <laughs> play it more me. and play with me. And, and, uh, yeah, so yeah. kind of all of my best friends from the time I was 12 to the time I was 18 were, were through bands and yeah. stuff. So, so that was a great, you know, collaborative experience. And yeah, a lot of what I do now is like deeply autonomous. And I find myself as a result of that very interested in 
bringing in collaborators mm. because of, I, I think maybe, you know, at its core, like the, it takes care of like the loneliness, sometimes sitting in a room and doing mm. everything on a song, even if it, you end up with something that you love, the process is pretty lonely. Yeah. I mean, it's good and bad. Like also like for me, having always in my career made, or mostly always made music communally right. with my friends, it's yeah. like, it's great because everyone brings something different and yes. we, you know, you have this chemistry that makes something unique, but yeah. at the same time, you've got to deal with everybody. Oh yeah. Nothing like I, screaming <laughs> at your best friend, like 16 over yeah. a drum beat. Or, yeah. Or having your feelings hurt because oh, you're like, yeah. I was up all night. I came with this idea. What you, oh, I can't wait to play that's it cool. for them. That's fine. You guys say, yeah. yeah, that's cool. But it kind of <laughs> sounds like a thing we did last year. <laughs> you know, and I still, I'm like, you know. Like an old ass man, and I get my feelings right and go home and sulk. You know? I used to get so frustrated when I'd bring in something and someone would be like, "That sounds like Here Comes the Sun" by the Beatles, and I'd be like, "No, it's not. Like it's just yeah. it's just a D chord, and it's you know, <laughs> gets so kind of um, defensive over yeah. something." And then I look back and I totally sounded like Here Comes the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but sometimes you're right, and sometimes yeah. it's so nothing wrong with that. Like Here Comes the it's Sun, true. it's fucking good. It's true. So um, when you saw Green Day, yeah, was that the first time when you started really thinking about, oh, these are the pieces that make it all happen? Like right. drums, guitar, melody, harmony, yes. all that stuff? Absolutely. That was uh -huh. the first time I'd ever seen a like a show I wanted to see live. Mm -hmm. I feel like as a kid, I'd, I'd get brought to like the county fair and I'd see some cover band playing. Yeah. And I'd sort of, that would wash over me without much thought. But that was the first time I, w I had like listened to albums, fall in love with them, and then seen that album yeah. played live. And yeah, just sort of watching everything at that show, watching, watching the, I mean, and they were playing an arena and that's such a, an endeavor. There's so many crew members and there's pyro. And I think that was sort of pre like the dawn of like screens at every show, but there was mm -hmm. so much production, so many lights and, um, yeah. So it felt like this kind of workplace to me Yeah. like, oh, these guys are all working. Yeah. And that was really exciting. Um, and yeah, just watching the sort of individual, yeah, I think the difference between like undefined me being an 11 year old and listening to an album and hearing a song versus being at a show and seeing a drummer and seeing a bassist and seeing yeah. a guitarist and understanding that there was like individual components making up what I heard. I remember, I think at that age, like the romance of doing that with my, with a friend yeah. or some friends of mine was so deep. Yeah. And I think especially like, you guys, like you and Anthony or, or Billy and Mike Darren, like these guys that were, that I knew from reading about them, that they, that you guys were all like friends at 14, 13. That was so romantic to me. Like yeah. the idea that I could have a whole rest of my life. And as a result, and you know, I look back at, at this period of my life and kind of shrug, like I took it so seriously in a way that clearly worked but i also you know to the real detriment of some friendships of mine you know what i mean i was so committed and and had this kind of like like my joke my my buddy and i who are, i'm still friends with but we always joke that we were like 15 and going like do you think this is a game you know and <laughs> your friend is like yes <laughs> like yeah. we're all in a garage and we're yeah. having fun and it's like in retrospect you're like and we were kind of terrible but you're like like i was so deeply committed to yeah. it and had this real conviction yeah and again it's like you know 
I, you know, I felt, I always felt the same way. Yeah. And, and to the point of, you know, I know that I was hurtful to yeah. people or yeah. bossy or just being an asshole because yes. I was yes. like, yeah. no, my life depends on this. Exactly. This isn't like fun. Yeah. Screaming at your friend over, you yeah. know, and a person that like, I had no problem with except in this yeah. workspace of like making the song perfect, yeah. you know? So yeah. yeah, it's but then but like for me personally, I just think like yeah, but I'm so selfish because there's times I'd be complete like arrogant that I couldn't get people to do what I wanted. Right. But then when I thought it was supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be fun. Exactly, I thought the same thing too when I wanted <laughs> when I wanted to go get lunch or whatever in the middle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, mm -hmm. I think I think about those times with kind of like empathy for my young self, and then some regret of yeah. like I wish I'd you know. But I think at that age too, you like you can't imagine being older. <laughs> Yeah, you can't imagine that you're at the beginning of a life that that maybe won't start for another three years. Yeah, and yeah. so you know, I remember when I was around fifteen or so, yeah. and I hadn't started playing. I just wanted to be a jazz trumpet player still when I was fifteen. But I guess when I, I started playing in a band when I was sixteen or seventeen, I started playing bass. Seventeen, yeah. something right around there. And I I remember uh, you know one of the first rock music that I got really into was Hendrix. Uh huh. And I. He has that, he covers that Dylan song all along in a watchtower. So good. And, and there's that lyric where he, he says, um, you know, there are, those of us among, there are those of us among us that think that life is but a joke, but you and I, we've been through that, and this is not our fate. And it's like that thing you're talking about, like, no, it's not a fucking joke. Yeah. And me at 15 thinking I've been through that, and this is not my fate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, I know. Yeah. And I often <laughs> think about, like, two things. One, yeah. one is a passage from your book. I quote biblically, but, but yeah, the, really uh, appreciate it, it's man. really Thank beautifully you for written about it. Yeah. You talk about Anthony and you talk about like, there's no one I love more deeply who, who I've been more hurt by, mm -hmm. which is to me, the epitome of, of sort of collaborative friendship, you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, I'm sure friendships in general feel that way, but a friendship where you're also making something together. Oh my God. So challenging, you know, and, yeah. and also my relationship with my sister where we added into it a whole realm of collaboration on top of yeah. just being siblings and loving each other and then you know and then the other thing i think of to the you know going back to the game thing is you know i think about guys that that i i've tried my best to really keep in touch with people but like there were guys like i didn't talk to for a decade because we were so contentious in yeah. a band in high school and i i think about with some regret kind of what it might have been like to watch a guy who was an asshole to you at 17 you know, have the career I've gotten to have. And, you know, that makes me feel bad because I think that I, m my great wish is that, that, that I would have behaved in a way that would make somebody feel only happy for you. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, I feel like, like a music education and a life education are, yeah. are one and the same. Yeah. And you develop in both ways as you develop as a human being. Right. And it's like you always with music, the real thing is like, yes, you have this thing inside of you, you have to get out, like yeah. this coil that needs to unwind, yeah. this tension. But also, and equally in equal proportion, is the yearning to connect with people, right? to connect with people's hearts. And as you think about those things like, oh, I wish I would have, you know, behaved better yeah. in the past. It's like, that's just music too, because you want to communicate. Yeah. So as a musician, you're always refining your ability oh, yeah. to communicate. Constantly. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Phineas tells the story of the first song he learned on piano at age 11, which also happened to be a ploy to impress a 13-year-old girl, and how he came to collaborate with his sister, Billy, for the very first time. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So um, after you see the pieces of Green Day and you start, you had you been playing an instrument yet? So like I remember being like 10, 11 and I was I was a, a young boy that that always had like I pre-puberty I had no sort of issue communicating with members of the opposite sex, right? I was like a, a kid and I was I felt close to 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 young girls as a young boy, right? Yeah. I identified as well or if not better than I identified with like other boys. Right. I don't know why, but I did. And then you have that moment where you suddenly are like intimidated by somebody for a reason you can't understand and feel like, I don't know what to say. And I feel kind of embarrassed to say anything around this person. And I just want to look at their pretty face. And so I remember having that happen. And I was singing in a choir at the time. And I had devised this like poorly constructed fantasy. I was 11. There was a girl that was 13. <laughs> I remember thinking, if I could learn how to play a song on piano, and I could be playing the song when she walks in the room. That might be something. <laughs> like that might she might take some notice. <laughs> so that was kind of the genesis of this like plan that wouldn't work at all. If yeah. you know, if a, do you remember, eleven, what, do you remember what the song was? <laughs> it was a song called "Beautiful Disaster" by John McLaughlin, which is beautiful. Anyway, and my dad is a consummate pianist, and I said to him like, I really want to learn how to play this song, and he, you know, the internet was in this kind of it existed. It wasn't what it is today, but he was like, I found like a chord sheet of this song online and he knew enough to sort of teach me how to play the chords and he sat and taught it to me. And I remember on the piano, which is the only thing, which is what he knows how to play. I remember thinking like, this isn't that hard, mm. you know, in terms of things I've like, I, I'd try to play soccer and I thought that was really hard. I remember playing piano and thinking like this, for me, this is much easier than the soccer thing is. And and then the the crazy exciting thing was the next song I wanted to learn. My dad saying, "You already know those chords. Like those chords from the other song are the same in this song, just rearranged." And that like blew my mind right. that I'd learned multiple songs without meaning to. Yeah. Anyway, the thirteen year old girl was thirteen. And I yeah. was eleven. And she <laughs> was like, "Cute man, like listen." Eleven, you know, you different know, yeah. ball game. And so I remember going to see the Green Day concert and. I think I scrounged up like a guitar pick from one of them. Like it got mm. thrown into the crowd yeah. or something. And I remember like holding it in the parking lot and thinking like, all I have to do now is learn how to play the guitar, <laughs> like holding a guitar pick. Yeah. And so I started to try to learn how to play guitar. And I thought that was way harder than piano. But, but I was, you know, 
dedicated. So that's so you had been hearing your father play piano Correct. at home all the time. My mom plays some piano. My dad plays some piano. Uh-huh. And so there was a lot of music in the house. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea of just like there was always piano around. Correct, yeah. And, you know, the tactile part of music mm-hmm. of just having the thing under your fingers. Correct, and, yeah. And where they go, you must have sat on it and plunked out Good King Wenceslas or something. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, Jingle Bells, whatever it was. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and to my great regret, my parents, so they had a, my mom's dad had like an Everett, like a sort of an heirloom, you know, thing they inherited, this old upright Everett with real ivory keys because wow. you know it's old enough and i don't even remember this but i i know from the evidence that it's there that they heard me playing piano in the other room while they were probably trying to you know clean the kitchen or something and we're like oh that's so cool playing the piano and there was a kind of a like metallic sound and i'd been hitting the piano with like sticks and breaking all <laughs> oh, the ivory shit. keys as like a three-year-old Whoa. which is still the piano that's in my yeah. parents house with all these <laughs> broken teeth on it right um, sounds fun but that was fun to me. I'm sure I had a good <laughs> yeah. time. And it looks kind of awesome. It looks like a prop from yeah. Westworld or something now. But yeah, so music was a, was always very important Around, to us. Yeah. yeah. And when you started playing the piano, you started playing the guitar. Yeah. From the beginning, you're kind of going in a multi-instrumental way. Yeah, definitely trying to kind of whatever minimal amount of knowledge I have on one, trying to translate right. to other things. And then like, you know, it was the same thing with, cause I was so obsessed with bands and trying to be in a band, like learning that a bass was the, was ostensibly like the top four strings of a guitar. And that if it's tuned this, you know what I mean? That it kind of translates and it's the root note. And that's what you played on the left hand, like yeah. the kind of, you know, it was like learning a romance language. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I know a little Spanish cause I know a little Italian, you and, know? And did you approach learning, um, with instruction books and scales and things like that and modes and chords and theory, cycle of fifths? It was that? all kind of, I definitely had some, you know, yeah, like, like a DVD series called like learn the guitar that mm-hmm. I found pretty tedious. But to me, it was really always like learning a song is such a master class. Because you're learning like six different things accidentally in trying to play a song. And I still feel that way to be true. Like I'm trying to learn how to be good at the drums now. Yeah. And it's like the same thing where, you know, I could watch a, a, a YouTube video of a person doing a drum tutorial. But if I just listen to a song a thousand times and try to play that song, I've learned a bunch of different fills. I feel like the amount of stuff you can learn in playing along to something always was super exciting to me. Yeah, I guess it's, and the cool thing about it, what's thrilling to me is it's a lifelong pursuit. Always, like yeah. every day mm-hmm. I'm a student of music. I wake yeah. up and I'm studying music. Either I'm just listening to it or liking it, not liking it. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Right. Like, it's so cool that not liking a song is a learning experience. You yeah. Know? That you're like, what is it about this that I don't like? Yeah, like what is it I want? Is, do yes. I want more, yes. less preciousness? Do I want more preciousness? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, do they not care enough? Or they too, you know, is it, or do I, or do I want more recklessness? I used to, I would kind of define musicians in their, like how they create themselves. And, and, and from both sides of this that I'm about to say, the great people who I really respect, some people kind of define themselves and like their identity as a musician by everything they don't like. And then all that's left is who they are. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they fucking suck. They're awful. They're terrible. <laughs> they're there. And this is the cool thing. And they, they kind of, it's kind of simple because then it's just like you just do the yeah. stuff that you think is good. Yeah. And then there's people who define themselves more by just what they love. 
as yeah. opposed to like cutting all of evil yeah, out. Yeah. You know, I remember a thing that was very commonly said to me as a teenager by friends was like, I'd, I'd be like, what kind of music do you like? Mm. And they'd say everything except blank, right? Yeah. A lot of kids would say country at the time. Yeah. That was what was cool to hate on or something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I always remember thinking like, that's not an answer. Like everything except yeah. one thing yeah. that you've sworn off. Yeah. And also like, yeah, there are country songs that I, that I don't relate to. And I yeah. always kind of point that. I'd be like, go listen to Dolly Parton, whatever. Like, you yeah, know. yeah. I, I always, you know, Thelonious Monk said that. Yeah, yeah. Said that I think, I think I probably quoted this in my book and I've said it before, but I, it's a philosophy that I personally adhere to where it's, he, someone's, I was asking him what music he, he didn't like. And he said, I like all music. And the guy said to him, even country music? And he said, what part of what I said do you not understand? You know, what does all leave out? You know? And I, I really love that. And I realized too that even if I don't like something, and there's some music that I find offensive. Yeah, I No agree. point bringing it up. But there's something that really fucking, I just like, it makes my skin crawl. I still like it, even though I hate it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's music and it's making someone happy somewhere. Yeah. But also, it's like, I'm learning from it. Yeah. Even if I'm learning like, what not to do. Yep. You know what I mean? It's guiding me. A lot of these early rockers who were great really hurt themselves yes. by dissing this thing yes. that was really fucking important. And it's like they placed themselves above it and put it down. And, and I remember thinking like at time, God, they yeah. really made themselves irrelevant. Yes. By saying this shit. Yes. And then, and they, then they ignored it and then they just became dinosaurs. Yeah. Where it's like someone like Neil Young who like heard the Sex Pistols and was like, this is fucking great. Yes. I want to hear raw yes. spirit. You know, he's yeah. Neil Young today still is relevant. It's true. And if you don't understand it or pay attention, you're going to become an old fart and be irrelevant. Yeah. So anyway, so yes. you start playing instruments. Yes. And I, I imagine you start writing songs right away. I don't know this, no, but that's I what I feel about songs. you. I started writing songs immediately yeah. and had weird, blind confidence immediately, you know? Right. And um, my mom is actually a songwriter, never made a career of it, but but I was aware of it. Yeah. She'd sit and write lyrics down and sing them. And I, I had a kind of an awareness of like, she's singing something now that didn't, that doesn't exist, right? No one, it's not a cover of some song. That was really exciting to yeah. me. Um, and so, yes, there was kind of, ne I never really had a period of like, and, and in some ways I kind of think back and I'm like, so stupid. Like we would have actually learned a lot <laughs> if we had, but we like every band I ever played in, I brought in a bunch of songs. Like we never covered anything. And again, like I remember coming up with a drum beat to some song and making this kid play it. And I was like, let's do it. I'm like the worst sound. Like, you know what I mean? Where yeah. I just had no understanding of it. And I think that was part of this kind of lack of you know i was just writing songs yeah and i remember actually and the genesis of the reason that i made the drum beat so weird was i didn't think that a drum beat i thought it was stealing if it was the same drum beat as another song yeah, yeah, yeah. i didn't know that like a four on the floor like twos and four snare was like yeah. okay to re i was like well they that <laughs> band did it I, like i can't yeah. i can't use that and and it wasn't really until like a, a kid david came and played with me and he'd been playing drums for years and you know he kind of looked at me and was like no man like you can do that you can just play a drum beat you yeah. know so yes i started writing instantly and mm. and a lot like mm. you know a, a song a day just tons and tons of awesome. songs um and fell super in love with it and 
yeah, again, like when I look back or I'll, I'll listen to some weird home video of me singing a song, like there are real shortcomings in my writing, but they were very structural. There was like choruses and verses and they rhymed. And that was like as sort of lackluster as they might be, there was this kind of identifiable, like that's pretty well built, you know? So that was sort of the thing that I was amazing. excited about. That's amazing. I had no idea about like the structure of instrumentation and what a part was and what a beat was. Like I just yeah. had this kind of like songwriting, here's a melody, I'm going to repeat it and it's going to rhyme and you know. Yeah. Yeah. So great. And so you start doing that. I, I, I have to, you know, four, five, okay, yeah, about four years ago, um, before John came back to the Chili Peppers, yes. we went and recorded some demos in this little studio, I think in El Sereno, uh -huh. like over in East LA. And we were just, you know, putting down tracks. Yeah. And um, uh, the engineer had said that you were in there. Really? In the studio. And it's like, you in there recording songs that you had written. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, he came in, he goes, yeah. And then he came in like, the other day, he goes, you know, that song I was doing the other day, I, I did it at home with my little sister. It really is like, sounds fucking cool. And I was thinking maybe I should do it with her singing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is the genesis of, of the Billy, uh, of me and Billy collaborating essentially was playing in this band in high school. Together. You were both in a band together. No, it was just me and my buddies. And she right. was 12. Right. So I was like 17. She mm. was 12. I was playing in the, in the band. And, and by that point, like we were all, you know, they were still in high school. I was homeschooled through high school, but mm. so I was kind of devoting like a full-time job's worth of my time to writing and playing. And they were, you know, devoting whatever free time they had outside of mm. school. Um, but we were like, instrumentally, we were all pretty good at that time. Like the, the kid playing drums with us, David, who is a great producer now, was a good drummer and our bassist was good and our guitarist was good. So we kind of had this feeling of like, we're, you know, we could tell that we were, and there's like battles of the bands in LA and we'd go play them and win. So we're playing these these shows and we were, you know, working on music. And again, like I really barely knew how to record music. And especially I didn't really, I wasn't able to facilitate recording a band. I feel like I really was a fan of like hi-fi recordings. Like I'd listen to a Chili Peppers record. I'd listen to a John Mayer record. And like the way that the drums sounded, the way the guitars sounded, I was like, that's pretty high fidelity on this. And recording drums in my sister's bedroom, which is what I would do with however many mics I could scrounge. I was like, I'm not making them sound as good as like a great engineer and a great studio is going to make them sound. So I kind of like was kind of gatekeeping by accident, you know, being mm. like, I'm not going to, I can't record it that well. And so we'd, we'd be in these studios and <laughs> without knowledge of like how much goes into making a song or a record, we'd be like all set up in one room trying to track a whole 10 songs in an hour, you know? Yeah. And then I'd listen to it and I'd be like, why does this sound awful, you know? Yeah. And they'd be like, well, it doesn't sound awful, but if, if you mean why doesn't it sound like what you want it to sound like, it's because the, the song you're referencing has like seven guitar overdubs and tons of backing vocals and great auxiliary percussion tracks and, you know. Room and they, sound. Room sound, yes, and synths and all this stuff that you don't understand. In terms of like, the difference between this live recording and what you're hearing on your iPod and liking, yeah. which was a kind of a kind of eye opening because of course now it's like sometimes the thing that is the best in the world to me is a live tracked four people in a room with no overdubs and nothing. Yeah. Anyway, so we're doing that. And I had started to kind of write songs that didn't feel like they were mine. And that was weird and interesting. I'd been writing songs that were like with a band in mind, 
And I was always writing alone. I wasn't writing with the other guys in the band. Just a little sort and of. So you would bring it to them, and you had parts in mind. And I sort of stopped having as many parts, but I'd be like, "Here's the lyric and the melody," mm-hmm. and then the drummer would play what he thought was right for it. And usually, I liked his instinct, but we'd argue over it or whatever. But I was never writing with them, which I think was a missed opportunity. Um, but then I started to write these songs that felt like. Uh, this isn't really mine. Like, like I wrote it, but I shouldn't be the one to sing it. I wrote this song called Ocean Eyes and my band did it because that was like the only vehicle I had. And we started playing it and it sounded like we were kind of playing it like a sound garden song or something with big verby guitars, and huge drums. And it just all felt like I was like, none of this is how I think this song should sound. And I was 17, 18 at the time and had been for the last several years, like trying to figure out logic pro and watching youtube tutorials and stuff and i'd kind of like been asking my sister to come sing on songs because i always thought she had a beautiful voice mm-hmm. and I asked her to sing that song and she did and then we put it on soundcloud and it was like all this like big accident where it was like put it on soundcloud with her singing and we we both thought it was great but we put yeah. it on soundcloud thinking like cool our friends will hear this and then blogs started to pick it up and right. labels reached out and stuff and that was like so crazy to us because it was yeah. like everything I'd been trying to make happen with my band for five years yeah. suddenly kind of like happening easily yeah. and by accident. I know the feeling. Yeah, super weird. Yeah, it's like something where you, like that where you're talking about almost not really an accident, yeah. but it's spirits coming in. Saying, yeah, like, yeah. Because it's like you're working so hard on something and trying and yes. trying and trying. Yeah, forcing And then you do it. something it's just like, oh, let's just do this for fun. Easy. And it's like, love just it just opens up a fucking oh, yeah. channel for a river of yeah. love to come through it it's true yeah I, I had that with with i mean you know from my book but yeah. i had my band my high school friends yes and we practiced every day and yeah. wrote and played to be as good as we could and constant 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 and it was just like we're good but it just yeah you know what i mean people yeah. liked it and it was cool you know and we were everyone knew that oh they can play really good and but it didn't tap a fucking vein totally and then the chili peppers was like let's just do this one thing one night and just for just fun work for a friend and it was like magic in yeah. a second but i think you have to like if you hadn't done the things yeah. with the band no and put in that worked and learned all totally. those things and be studying yeah you wouldn't have been ready to ride that wave when it came oh absolutely you know and yes. like like i know for us too like i needed all yes. those years of yeah. doing things that that I was developing yes. and caring. And, even and they were fairly scholastic. And I think that it also gave me the sense where I'd taken so much advice in the band in high school. Like so many people were given unsolicited advice that I was like writing down and following, you know, and I listened to all of it and yeah. sort of treated all of it like it was the best advice. And I think that also gave me a kind of a sense when Billy and I started to make music of like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to be a little more cautious about who I how to. much influence I give people, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I gave everybody a lot of influence on this other thing because I was having no success. And, right. and I'll be like, I'll try anything. Yeah. And then I was like, this thing's happening really easily. I think I'm just going to, we're going to trust our instincts here. Yeah. And, and I also really always trusted Billy. I thought she had cool ideas and mm-hmm. instincts. And, you know, as the world all knows now, like she had this crazy visual thing always mm-hmm. of like, the the way everything would look and the visual component of the music videos and everything was very artistic and the way everything should sound. And so outside of her and me, it's like always kind of after the years of taking everyone's advice, I was like, I think we're going to really trust our gut. Be ourselves. Yeah. Which was great. 
I think that's kind of the ultimate thing yeah. for any musician. Absolutely. It's the hardest thing to learn. Yeah. I, I was talking to John Fashante. I did a podcast with him a little while ago. And he was talking about the process. Like he was constantly like, you know, very passionate and about learning his thing but and, and all this stuff. But then when he got to the point where he was finally able to like, you know what? I'm just going to be myself right. and fuck everything else. And some yeah. people, you know, different ways, but he had to like, be like, fuck the world. I'm being me. Yeah. And that was when he found his voice. You of course, know? where you surrender. It feels like, sur yeah. I, it always felt to me like surrender. Like I was like yeah. giving up on trying to yeah. be as much of this as they were, yeah. you know? You become yourself. You forget your own voice. And George Clinton told me a very similar thing where he said, like he's coming up like in the, uh, late 50s and the 60s and you want to be like the temptations mm -hmm. and it was always organizing these dance steps and outfits <laughs> and harmonies <laughs> these tight harmonies you know like do up and the temptations were the slickest oh toughest fucking so thing on put earth together yeah and yeah. For, for like his culture his world they were so incredible and he was like fine at a certain point he's like god i can't fucking out slick the temptations not my thing and as soon as i he stopped doing that and just started hanging out with his crazy pals and just like rocking out the way that their freaky way and he stopped trying to be successful. I'm just going to have fun playing music with people I love. Oh. It all just happened. Yeah. I always think like for like advice, like people ask me for advice. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, I don't know if I have any good advice at all, yeah. but the one, the only thing I can always say that is uniform advice for every single fucking musician and you already had it was practice. Oh yeah. Play, practice, write, so fail, succeed. Yeah. Fail, 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 fail. Succeed a little bit. Fail, fail a lot. Whatever. Just keep playing. Yeah. And were you, you know, clearly from hearing you speak, you just did that from the beginning and it wasn't like someone had to tell you to do it. No, I was very motivated. Yeah. After the final break, Phineas discusses the importance of empathy and vulnerability in his role as a producer and how he and his sister managed their crazy journey to global stardom after posting their very first track on SoundCloud for their friends to hear. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And so you start writing songs. Yeah. You have a band. Yeah. 
you're growing as a musician, working every day, finding your voice. You start recording with your sister, and this thing just starts happening. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden it's like, um, and tell me if I'm wrong too, because I'm kind of filling in blanks here. You feel this, it's got to feel like a feeling of elation. Like you feel like, oh my gosh, we're really connecting with people yeah. with this. Like people are really feeling this. Yeah. And then you make a full album. Yeah. And it blows the fuck up. Yeah, that was crazy. So, so the, so the trajectory of that, it's like something is working. It's so exciting that people care at all. Yeah. Like the first time people care at all. Mm -hmm. Labels care. Managers care. Really care. Booking agents care. My little girl was weeping at your show. That was so cool. And that, and again, <laughs> and like that show, the show you and your daughter came to yeah. was the the EP. So so yeah, yeah. Billy, from the time Ocean Eyes came out to her signing a record deal was just under a year yeah. of you know constant meetings with everybody. And so even though under a year is short, in some ways that felt long because it was like meetings every day yeah. and everybody wants you to sign tomorrow, right? Yeah. So it was taking our time and getting it right. And then, so that's end of 2016, we signed. And then we did about a year, we'd done like eight months and we did another year of sort of like going in the rooms with professionals every day because people were reaching out and the label had this sort of these deep, you know, pits of like, Oh, you liked that song made by this person? Like, do you want to work with that person? Yeah, and yeah. and of course, as a 18-year-old me and a 13-year-old Billy, you're like, yeah, they made like one of my favorite songs, of course. And so we did do a lot of writing sessions with consummate professional producers and whatever. And for whatever reason, like none of that ever worked. Like, you know, we would write stuff, but it was never like the stuff. And so we just kept making stuff alone together. And that year, like 2016 to 2017, like I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of like a huge desire to prove myself and and not even imposter syndrome but like imposter reality of like i really don't actually know what i'm doing and i'm right. and, and this label cares a lot about billy as the signee artist and i'm like oh my god like i wanted to i wanted to deliver so bad i wanted to make stuff that billy thought was great that everyone else thought was great too and that was this ep don't smile at me and making that was really hard just just on a kind of a like when you don't know how to do something you do it the hardest way <laughs> you know what i mean you're like oh so worrying about what people think is worrying fucking about what people think hard and people not yet trusting you we had like the people on our team would would stand behind me right now and, and deny that you know they'd be like yeah, of yeah. course we trusted you yeah, and yeah. i'd be like maybe you yeah. know, i was 18 why'd you call in the swedish uh, mafia why was there six the productions of that one <laughs> yeah. song you know why was there a shootout of the one song yeah um anyway so i felt a tremendous amount of pressure and anxiety mm. about doing a good enough job mm. and went on the other side of the ep coming out and of it doing pretty well I felt a lot of relief and we went into the first album, the first full length, I, you know, we, the EP had done better than I thought. And I had ideas about what I wanted to improve on. And so the f making of the first album was much less stressful and much less hard than making of that EP. And our, our communication with each other got better and better, and, you know, healthier and healthier. And so, yeah, when, when you and your daughter came to the show, we'd, we just put out like the first or second single that was going to be a part of her first full length album. And those exploded. And that was a kind of a exciting, scary thing. Cause you, you go from like, wow, we have some fans and they really like us to like, you know, shows blowing out. Phenomenon. Yeah. And that was, that was pretty crazy. 
And I remember we put out a song with the announcement of her first album called Bury a Friend. And I thought that song, just because of maybe overanalyzing, I loved the song, but I had no idea what expectations to have. I thought maybe this is too weird for people or a little avant-garde or something. And that song exploded. And I think that was sort of this moment of like, what's happening? Like the, the thing that I thought was like, maybe this one is going to be too weird for people. That explodes. And then her album came out. And that, like the album went crazy and Bad Guy came out with the album. And so that was all kind of like, you know, all everyone in our world playing catch up, you know, and, and not having enough crew to, you know, facilitate the venue or suddenly playing whatever. So that was a really intense period of time. How, how did that affect your relationship to you, to playing music and writing music? I think it invigorated, you know, it reinvigorated mm. it. And the other thing that, you know, having an album suddenly become a phenomenon meant that I suddenly was like artists I'd loved for 10 years were down to work with me, you mm. know, since I was like a kid. Mm. And that was pretty scary too. Yeah. <laughs> like meeting a fallible person that was like a God figure yeah. to you as a 13 yeah. year old was kind you of had alarming. been playing and playing all that time, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's weird when the world decides that something is important. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm just doing what I do. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, and it can be weird because all of a sudden you might feel like, and I'm just kind of speaking for myself, yeah. like you have to fulfill this thing yeah. of someone else's expectation. But the truth is, yeah. you wrote that music. Yeah. You sat down. It's your idea yeah. of what was cool. And your sister, like you did it together, right? Yeah. You're sitting there like going through really like this, don't like this. She's a huge part of every reason yeah. why it's so unique. And yeah, for me, it was like, I was so dedicated and my parents never had to force me to do anything. Yeah. So you have this creative relationship with your sister all of your life. She's been your little sister. I met with how many years apart are you two? Like three and a half, four. So when you're five years old, she's a teeny little toddler running yeah. around and yeah. you've been around her forever and all her quirks and sure there's yeah. things about her that drive you crazy. The biggest divide was like, 13 to 9. <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. I was 13, I was, you know, dealing with my own arrogance of being 13 and I I, I often yeah. joke to her. I joke to her now cuz we're so close. I'm like, yeah, 13 I saw no value in you. <laughs> <laughs> this 9-year-old, I was like, this is bullshit. You're just a pain in the ass. Yeah, you're you're you whatever your needs and desires are, I'm like, this is, you know. Yeah. I felt so removed from 9 at 13. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's cool that that that's maybe the only time <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know I've had such like antagonism with my own like blood family yes. but it's a you know you you so you have a creative relationship with her and so I guess I'm you know just saying that because obviously someone you know really super duper as well as you can know anyone yes yeah and um how is that are you able to have like a level of trust in right. in in creating and um you know consistently yeah, I mean, the the number one reason that it's sort of unique and easy, as I think probably most people's closest creative relationship is, is just that we know everything about each other generally, you know? So it's like, if I've seen her all week and then she comes in, like, I know what, I know what the baggage is. Like, I know what she is going through when she, when she says something kind of vague, I know all the undertones, you know? And I think that that is the kind of, eternal challenge of working with with artists for the first time is hours of conversation preceding it because you're like i have to i have to know this person like i want to be able to 
to think of the right lyric if we're if we're writing lyrics together because I know all the context of their story that they've told me and then I can think of it as opposed to kind of constantly saying like what are you trying to say here to them so I feel like that's made it really easy and I think that also our relationship as people siblings specifically but there's so many layers to it outside of this work collaborative thing that on a day where where it's a challenge where we're just recording a vocal and we're doing a million takes and she's hating the way her voice sounds or we're comping a record and it, she hates all of the takes she did or something like and it's kind of a is kind of a, a down moment we'll grab our bikes and like ride around the neighborhood and have a great time and there's kind of this like that's like all the kind of struggle of the of the moment stays in the in the room we made the song in and that's kind of beautiful to be able to just be yeah. friends outside of and it. i'm sure for her i mean she knows about you too oh, yeah like when you're either stuck or just pissed off or yeah and I, i'm not really able to have a facade with her i think like sometimes i'll you know like or one time i went to a session and on the way to the session i must have cut somebody off on los Feliz boulevard or something and they pulled up next to me and rolled down their window and pointed a gun at me <laughs> it's always a good feeling and i my heart was beating so fast and screaming at me and then i rolled up to a session with like an artist that i'd never met before yeah. and they were like how's your david and i was like great like, because <laughs> it because it was we were making a record for them and i didn't want yeah. to inject this whole kind of like this crazy thing just happened to me yeah. because i wanted to know about them and i wanted to hear about you know and and oftentimes yeah. with an artist like sh they're telling me about like the divorce they're going through or something and i didn't want to sort of make it about me and you know I, like i wouldn't be able to do that with billy you know yeah. she'd she'd know that i came in with a you know crazy feeling yeah. um and um yeah and that's kind of beautiful you know i yeah. think there are days where as a producer i'm i have real shortcomings and she knows why you know yeah. she'll be like oh he slept poorly and you know yeah. woke up with a sore throat or something and and that's bothering him yeah when you can have a relationship with someone creatively where you're able to be vulnerable around them you're able to be honest with them and them with you yes that's you know it's so true unbelievable yeah you've managed to collaborate pretty deeply with various different people but is there a sense of like, just because of the hours that you've put in maybe with the, with the chili peppers, like, is there the sense of like, yes, I've had this deep collaboration with, let's say it's like Adams for Peace with Tom or something like, is there a kind of a like, is there any comparability to any of the different collaborations you've had? Or are you just like the chili peppers is the thing that I, is, I've been a part of me since I was 16. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, the chili peppers is definitely home for me. Right, right. And I just, it's so... It's like putting on an old pair of socks. You know what right. I mean? It's just like I know it so well. Yeah. And I know the vehicle. Yeah. And I do think that part of a, a really successful collaborative relationship is being open about yourself too. And so if I'm allowed more than like one day with a person where I really want to get yeah. them to feel comfortable and safe, whatever, like I do kind of throw it all back. You know what I mean? If yeah, somebody's yeah. if somebody's willing to divulge to me like real intimate details about their life or their family or whatever like i'll i'll give it to them back i don't want to make yeah. them feel like they don't know me at all because i yeah. think that mutual understanding is really actually what makes you feel safe around somebody you know yeah. and someone who can you know obviously you can make yourself when you can make yourself vulnerable in front of someone and be like you know i'm really fucking hurting right now yeah and they can be like i love you i'm here for you yeah so when you have that relationship with someone musically which yeah. i'm sure that you have 
you know, like you're saying, you have with your sister. Yeah, Billy's the one that feels like home for me, for yeah, sure. Yeah, beautiful. and it's the same deal. Whatever is going on with her, yeah, I don't care why, right? Yeah. I, I just care like that I'm there for her. Yeah, it's like, you know, you have to, love is allowing people to process. Yeah. And the creative process itself is so fucking therapeutic. So true. Yeah, I, I like, you know, hearing you speak the whole time, it, it feels like more than anything, and this is the same with me, it's just, I just love the creative process. Yeah. I like being in there. I oh, know yeah. that when I'm spending my time doing it, that yeah. I'm living a life worth, that's making me happy. Yeah. yeah you know? It makes me feel deeply fulfilled. Yeah. And the last question. Yeah. Is for all the young music students uh -huh. and the many different flavors <laughs> of nervous systems and psyches yeah. and varying degrees of curiosity. Yeah. Um, what is your advice for them or do you have advice for them? I have a two-part answer. The first answer is like true north is like what you're loving. So like, yeah, if you're loving the thing that you're making with your friend, even if it's like on a technical level, like you're brand new at it and you're just singing over a Casio keyboard, you press play. Like if you love it, like that's a really good sign. You should always trust like the, the thing you love and maybe try to examine why you love it, what it is about it, and then follow that. But yeah, I think just following the compass of like, oh, I love this thing is really exciting. Because I think as soon as you get lost in like correct, incorrect, proper, there's a lot of like, that's like being in a maze. And yeah. I think if you're just like following what you love, it's like, it's pretty clear in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And the second answer is, I watched and listened to like every interview, lecture, seminar, clinic I could get my ears on from YouTube and the radio and whatever of any musician as a kid. Like, mm. I was obsessed. And I, again, like listened to every piece of advice everyone ever gave. And it's everyone's music career is so different that it was like so much of it was like the opposite of what would work. And mm. I remember thinking like, Oh, that's so weird. Like this great piece of advice that was so applicable to this person's career was so wrong for me or was, and, I, and so that's the other thing I would like to impart on anyone listening to this for me is like, there's going to be something that, that worked great for me or worked great for Flea. That's going to be like, you're going to do the exact opposite thing and it's going to work perfectly for you. And that's, that's how it's supposed to go. And so yeah. like, that's the disclaimer I try to give is like, this, like something I say might be like bullshit to you. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Even though it sounds good and it's, it, you know, I've found success with it. It's like, it's so unique to everybody, which is the exciting part. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, like just doing this podcast and speaking to different people about how they kind of came to where they are as a uh -huh. musician, everyone is so completely different. Crazy. Absolutely, completely different. And um, it's so great to speak to you today. I, you know, you're such a great musician. Wow, and, thanks, man. And um, it's, beautiful for me to see because the world of possibility is endless <laughs> you know what i mean and i know that you're the kind of person who's going to keep getting better and deeper and learning and growing thanks, and man. thanks so much for coming and talking oh, thank today. you so much for having me i hope you enjoyed my conversation with phineas as always thank you for listening to this little light a podcast that exists to benefit the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. 
This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself. Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, Michelle Moses, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.